Chapter 19 is where we're going to start off. We're going to end at 18. So, Brother Larry, if you'll come, 1 Kings chapter 19. If you want to stand and stretch out, uh, you can. <clears throat> now, after uh, Labor Day, just so that you know, after that Monday's passed, Things will start getting real busy around here, and uh, we are going to do our best to leave the parking lot open now. We got the ditch filled back in, but if you could do me a favor, please, and uh, make sure that you wipe your feet real good. Let's try to preserve what the Lord's given us, and uh, let's make sure that you wipe your feet off, but you can park over there and use that entrance and the other ones, and this one back here is still going to be closed. Um, so if you could just do that for us, we'll do our best to get that filled in and get some asphalt on it or some sheeting on it as quick as we can. But thanks for understanding that, and uh, hopefully before much longer we'll have uh, uh, air conditioning over there and electric over there. And when that happens, things will begin to fall into place very quickly. And um, uh, just pray that everything goes, because it's all got to come together like a Swiss watch. It's there's a lot of moving pieces and everything hinges on everybody else getting their part done and getting out of the way to give us enough time to finish it up. So if you would pray, pray especially for Brother Holland along those things. All right, now <clears throat> in the last days, the Bible says that many will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and many will depart from the faith. And if there was ever a time that you needed God's hand on you, it's the day and time in which you live now. And having God's hand on you doesn't just mean for protection, it also means for guidance. I remember a long time ago seeing a picture, I think the old preacher is the one that drew it, but I think what he drew was he had a picture of a, of a soldier that was there and he was looking for direction, if I remember it right. And uh, the Lord's hand was on the soldier's uh, shoulder and he's pointing with this other hand like this, trying to give him direction. You need to have direction in the day and time in which you're living. You need the comfort of knowing somebody's protecting you. But you also need to realize that he's right there with you in the situation that you're in. And you're living in a day and time where people are beginning to doubt God and the realness of God is beginning to wane. It's getting off to a point now where people are beginning to not have, quote, the experience they used to have. God hasn't quit showing up, ladies and gentlemen. God's still very much alive today and very real as He was back then. But part of the problem is, is nowadays we're so distracted by everything else going on in the world that we just don't feel God's touch like we did before. Now when I talk about God's touch, I need to clarify this. I'm not talking about a second blessing, second baptism. I'm not talking about the initial evidence of baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's not all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about during your life, the Holy Spirit has a tendency to kind of wane. You need to be filled back up again. And times you need to be encouraged. You need to be exhorted. You need to be strengthened. And one of the things you have to recognize is, is there's nobody in here that doesn't need God's hand on him. Everybody needs God's hand on them. And you may not need it as bad right now as you may need it a little bit later on. You say, why? Every one of us are feeble and frail as dust. God will bring you to the end of yourself or just let life take its toll. And you're going to realize if God doesn't step in supernaturally and do something to help you, you're not going to make it to the finish line. And that's what we have going on here with one of the greatest preachers, if not the greatest preacher in the Old Testament. The Bible says this in verse number 46, chapter 18. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. 
19.1, And Ahab told Jezebel all Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Brother Larry, you pray, would you, and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you for this morning, Lord, and what we've experienced already. We, we can't help but recognize, Lord, if we sit for just a minute, all that you are to us, what's even gone been on in our lives individually this week to the safety and getting us here this morning Amen. to what we've been able to be a part of. Thank you for that. Thank you for people that love you. Lord, thank you for a place to come worship. Thank you for you blessing such a ministry as you've opted to loan us here and to be a part of it. Amen. And we pray, Lord, with everything in us, God, that you would continue to have your hand on the furniture of this ministry, this building, and the opening of the doors soon. Uh, God, may everything come together as, as you would have it, Lord. Your will be done there. We ask for your help now for this hour. Thank you, Lord, for another time to hear preaching. Thank you for giving us a pastor, a preacher, your man, to preach the Word of God and for this message that he's going to preach. Yes. Help our ears to be open. God, help our hearts. Help us to be settled and set just for a few minutes to be yes. able to listen amen, amen. and to be able to adhere to your Word. Yes. Uh, God, we yearn for it. For it's the thing that changes and makes the difference in our lives. Yes. We pray you bless the Word of God. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. 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 Thank you. You can be seated. I'd like to maybe show you or give you something to consider this morning. That Elijah's expectations led to severe disappointments. Elijah believed what the people said to him. They're getting ready to have the showdown up on Mount Carmel. Everybody knows that story. We won't be redundant in telling you that. But Elijah has gone up and made a deal with the prophets of Baal, made a deal with the king himself and with his wife Jezebel, and said, we're going to have this, uh, this contest up here, and whoever's God answers, that's the God that we're going to follow as a nation of Israel. Well, the Baalites got up and did their things and they weren't able to bring anything to happen. The weather didn't change. The fire didn't fall. The God didn't answer. And 12 o'clock, they knocked off the service and they immediately went into Elijah's time and Elijah got up there. And you remember the story I told you before about uh, having to repair the altar because they had not been at the altar and got the altar repaired and then began to lay the sacrifice on the altar and then the Lord said to him, there's some things that are not on the altar that need to be on the altar, the thing you're depending on, the water. And he put the 12 barrels of water on there and another one to fill up the trench. And then he prayed and all of a sudden the fire came from heaven and destroyed the altar and the sacrifice and God spoke miraculously from heaven. God showed up that day on Mount Carmel. I've been to that place. And when I was there, they had this huge statue of Elijah with a sword down there beside him. 
And at the end of that time, he takes the prophets of Baal and kills those prophets down there at the brook Kidron. And at the end of that, the rain comes. It begins to come a thunderstorm, a thundercloud out of the cloud about the side of a man's hand. And he says to him, he said, uh, hey, boy, do you see anything going over there? He said, no, sir, I don't see nothing. And his servant comes back after a while. He says, you see anything? Yes. He said, no, sir, I don't see nothing. Must have lost your prayer life. He said, well, just go look again. And he said, well, yeah. There's one out there about the size of a man's hand, like a sponge out there. And he said, man, you better go warn him. It's fixing to come a frog strangler. I mean, it's fixing to come. He said, preacher, that thing ain't enough, man. You could wring the thing out. Couldn't get a glass of water. He said, watch what God does with little things. And all of a sudden, that cloud comes through there, man. And it begins to rain. And Jehu's in that chariot and running Ahab. And the Lord said, uh, get your skirt, get your grove out of the way there, boy. Gird up your loins and take off running. And Elijah takes off, old in his age and and he takes off running across there and he runs faster than the horses. Amen. And he gets over there to Jerusalem and he's thinking, boy, what a Sunday we had, man. Praise the Lord. Glory to God, man. God spoke to us today. We're fixing to have revival. And people are coming by him and splashing mud on him and they're running to get into their houses and the horses have got their faces turned up and they're drinking in the rainwater and the dust and the mud and stuff's washing off the sides of those things and the corn crops are beginning to get a drink and stuff like that. And they're coming by and they're coming by and not a single person says a word to Elijah. Nobody asked him in for a biscuit. Nobody asked him to come in for a cup of coffee. Nobody asked him in for a glass of iced tea or a glass of water for that matter. They're just passing him, getting on, going back to life as it was. And I want you to notice that the Bible says the hand of the Lord's on him and helped him to supernaturally get back to Jerusalem. But once he got there, a strange thing took place. God knew he needed God's hand on him. You say, why? Because you find in verse number 1, there's going to be slander from other people. Ahab goes back and tells Jezebel the story. She obviously wasn't at the church service. She had something else. She's probably like Mikhail over there. When David comes in bringing in the ark and she looks through the window, she's not participating in the worship service. She's just there to make fun of everybody that's in the worship service. Matter of fact, when the king comes in because he laid aside his royal robes, he, she says to him, boy, you sure were very kingly today. You really look like an old patriarch man out there in an ephod, the clothing of a common ordinary man, and you're the king acting like that, cutting the rug out there just because the ark of the Lord comes back. And David says, boy, I'm done with you. And the Lord doesn't allow her to have children and she tries to do it in a different way, sort of a subversive way. And the Lord even fixes it when up there at the Rock of Rizpah, those are grandchildren of somebody she tries to be a surrogate of. And the Lord winds up with all of them dead. I told you you're not going to have children. Why? You're making fun of somebody that's worshiping me. Well, guess where Jezebel was? Well, she wasn't up on the mountain sacrificing. You say, why? She would have already known what, Ahab, what uh, Elijah had done. She didn't know anything about it. You know all she knew? Well, her husband told her. You say, why? Sometimes people's interpretation of a church service is entirely different than what actually occurred. <laughs> she went back and told him the negative side of things. He wound up killing all these prophets and you know what Ahab's doing? He's setting her up knowing what's going to trip her trigger, what's going to make her mad. Because why? He made Ahab look like a fool. And so what he does is he involves her. He winds up doing that. Why do you need God's hand on you? To be able to discern other spirits. Amen. To be able to tell which ones are of God and which ones aren't. Amen. Every spirit that says they're of God, they're not of God. Yes. 
And sometimes all they do is create division. And all they try to do is create discord. The Bible said that he doesn't like people that sow discord among the brethren. Matter of fact, if I remember correctly, he says six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. And one is, is that he that soweth discord among the brethren. That's what Ahab's doing. You need God's hand on you today. You say, why? If there was ever a time you needed to be able to discern spirits, it's now. Amen. You need to realize that if you're doing anything for the Lord at all, people are going to make fun of you, people are going to laugh at you, and people are going to interpret things wrongly than what they actually were. I mean, he didn't come back and say, man, you should have been there. Wow, you should have seen what God did up there, man. They put that stuff on the altar, poured that water on there. I can tell you why it's raining outside, honey. I mean, God spoke to that preacher. Man, he was on fire today, man. He lit off that altar. And man, I'm going to tell you, it started a crack of thunder and some bolt of lightning came through. And boy, I'm telling you what, it's a frog strangler now. Ain't that a blessing? No, he went home and he said, yeah, he went up there and killed your prophets. You need God's hand on you to be able to discern other spirits. Amen. You say, why? In the last day, many give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of... And many depart from the faith. The Bible also says there in verse number 2, one of the reasons you need God's hand on you is to be able to recognize that there's going to be threats from other people. First thing Jezebel does is, is she sits down with a pen... I need to touch on this briefly and I'll try to move through it as quickly as possible so as you not throw up your breakfast. But can I just say this? Today's day and time that you're dealing in, it's no longer a pen. It's an email or it's Facebook or it's Snapchat or it's Instagram. And I hate to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, but words on a page don't speak and don't give you voice inflection the way that if you're talking to somebody. If you'll remember when Sanballat and Tobiah came against Nehemiah, if you'll remember that story, you remember what they did? They sat out and they went on a letter writing campaign. If you'll remember that when Jezebel told, Nabal, uh, told uh, Ahab, I'll get you the, the, uh, the vineyard that's next to you, if you'll remember, she went on a letter writing campaign. Guess what happened? She's real good. She said, I guess the pen's mightier than the sword. And she begins to pin out things, puts the seal on there of the king, and sends it over there. And Elijah, I don't know, he's probably got it thinking, okay, this is it, man. Here it comes, the edict from the king, the nation of Israel. He's going to keep his word. Can I say his expectations got dashed pretty quickly? Yes, sir. Yes. Can I say that sometimes Christians can let you down? Amen. Can I say that without being too offensive this morning? I, I know it's a Sunday morning. I know it's usually a little looser on Sunday night. But can I say this to some of your visitors? Can I just tell you this? If you come here to be a part of us, I hate to tell you this, we're just people. Our armpits smell at one time or another. Maybe not so bad when we get out of the shower, but we sweat like you do. We stink like you do. Our breath smells and we say and do stupid things. And to be a part of anybody, especially a church family, you have to recognize we are saved, but we are still sinners. And I just want to make sure that you understand that not only does slander take place, but sometimes people threaten you and they can severely disappoint you. But you won't quit going to Walmart. And you won't quit going to your favorite restaurant just because you didn't get what you wanted. And you won't quit going to a place you want to go to, like the ball game or whatever else it might be. But you'll wind up, if you're not careful, using it as an excuse not to be where God would have you to be. And so all of a sudden he winds up getting mad. His servant opens it up and says, Hey, guess what, preacher? We got us a, a note here from the king. And a matter of fact, it's from her. And the Bible says in the next verse, verse number 3, coming right out of the passage, when he saw that. You see, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes things aren't always what they look like. 
Sometimes you're deceived by how you perceive. Sometimes the misunderstanding is something that... Because here's the difficult thing. Rarely ever do people see themselves as others see them. Rarely ever do we see ourselves as God sees us. The deception can be that we think we're always in the clear. And before long, you know what can happen? We can ride off at a full gallop and think, you know what? And these individuals, this person, these people that were supposed to do this stuff, the Bible said when Elijah saw it, the disappointments became magnanimous. Fancy word for it got large. Can I say this? He saw what he was looking for. I'm pausing for effect. If you're always looking for what's wrong in everything and everybody else, those things will become salient. They will stand out. You will see them no matter what. If you're a perfectionist, you will see everybody's flaws. Instead of appreciating the diamond for what it is, you're winding out whether or not it happens to be the right color, happens to be the right quality, how many facets it has in it, whether or not it has carbon in it. And instead of saying, man, I don't even deserve a diamond, I appreciate the diamond. Nobody else knows whether or not it's a dirty diamond or not. But you got it under the microscope. And you're looking at it and your husband broke his back to get it for you. But you're looking and going, yeah, he gave me a... You know, well, at least he didn't give you a zirconian. Nobody else knows, but you know that's a zirconian. I know, I've seen them. I've seen, I mean, rocks, I mean, big as a dime sitting on somebody. I'm kind of like, there ain't no way that, that that's like a $100,000 diamond on somebody's finger. Mm-mm. I know Bible believers. You ain't got that kind of money. <laughs> For somebody to just wear on their finger, just to, you know, show out, you know, my old man's got the dough. You just got good credit or no brains, one. Amen, that's good preaching. I'm, guys, you should be amen in me there. It's kind of like, yeah, preacher said, I don't have to buy you a bigger diamond. I don't know where it is. It's unwritten in girl code that after you've been married so many years, you're supposed to be able to size up. You're going to get a, uh, get a refurbishment or can we just say an upgrade? That first diamond meant something to you, even if it was a bottle stopper. You were so madly in love, that little tiny chip of a diamond that was on there, man, you thought that was one of the greatest diamonds ever given to you because he gave that thing to you. You'd say, boy, look at her shine. Look at her shine. And people are like, look at what shine. It's a grain of sand in that thing. I know, ain't that pretty? That's the prettiest grain of sand you've ever seen. And then after a while, that relationship tarnishes a little. And you think you replace it by a bigger diamond. You don't replace the love and the emotion that goes behind that diamond. Something's done tarnished and all of a sudden we're no longer in love with the one that's the provider. We just love the provision. Baby, if you love me, you give me a bigger diamond. How am I doing? Help me. Buy me a new car. Get me a new house. I want some new threads. Amen. And as you get older, you got to have more of them threads. I don't mean... Quality. I mean, it has to become like, could you give me a number one and supersize me? It costs more to clothe you when you get older. 
I don't know why that's that way. I got a new weight loss program. I'm going to release it in a couple of weeks. You can be looking for it. It'll probably be all over the internet. I guarantee you we'll have enough money to finish up the church building. You say, what is it? They charge you according to size. They do it everywhere else. If you go to McDonald's and you want it supersized or sized up, do they give you the supersize or do they say it's going to cost you more? Okay, you got a size 6, it's this much, a size 7, it's that much, a size 10, it's that much, a size 20, and you done been cured from sucking eggs. It's kind of like, you know what, I need to drop a couple pounds. My, 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 I mean, you want to see rich people, all of a sudden the rich people are like, I know they're rich, why? Because they ain't losing weight, and they're loving it, and they're walking around, and they're proud to say, why? Because it costs them four times as much to clothe as it would a regular person. I know you wouldn't be preaching that at all, I'm just saying... Sometimes what winds up occurring is we wind up getting our eyes off of how good God's been to us. And as time goes on, you know what we do? We start looking for Him to replace the joy of the Lord with entertainment or replace the joy of the Lord with a provision instead of, hey Lord, could you just come be with us? I know when I got saved I was only seven, but it lit me off. I tried to get that little Jewish boy saved down the road from me because I cared that he went to hell. I, I realized I gave him an illustration. I bet you he'll never forget that illustration. I don't know if he ever got saved or not. I know it scared the tar out of him. But I want you to know this. There's times in my life where God's been real to me and spoke to me and it wasn't because of something He gave me. It was because the hand of the Lord was upon me. And God helped me to be able to get through some things, including the remarks and the statements of other people, the slander, the threats, the disappointments. Can I say this also? Notice the Bible says this in verse number 3, When he saw that he arose and he went for his life and he came to Beersheba, belongeth and left his servant there. Can I say this? You need the hand of the Lord upon you because unlike many people, I tell you, it's a lonely journey. You're traveling by yourself. You're a Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, can I say this to you as kindly as I possibly can, but our form of Christianity does not always facilitate a huge amount, a big gob of worms kind of fellowship with everybody and anybody. Amen. It's not because we're stuck up in persnickety. It's because we desire to have our fellowship with the Lord greater than fellowship with people. Amen. And that in and of itself, you know what it winds up doing? It winds up alienating us. It winds up separating us. It's not about camps. It's just about if I'm going to stick with Jesus, you know what I find out? Some people don't want to stick with me. And it's hard to recognize that after you get saved and you try to make the right decision, do you realize just making a decision about the Bible that's in your lap right now, it automatically separates you from other people? You think I'm kidding you? You wait tomorrow to lunch, you sit down and read it, say, oh, reading King James. You know what the fellow just said to me last week? He said, yeah, King James Bible. He said, oh, that's just a bunch of trash. Oh, I said, really? He goes, oh, man, you need one of these new versions, man. They got all the new words and stuff. It's been updated. Got a little Google thing here that it translates the thing into a modern English and all that kind of a stuff. The moment that I need Google to translate what the Bible says for me, I'm in some serious trouble. Amen. I can't feed you with Google. Amen. I have to feed you the words that come from that book. Can I say this though? Sometimes that's a lonely path. Sometimes you'd rather go to hit a chatbot, GPI, and get that and have that feed out to you. Why? Because it's in modern language. 
I'm not interested in modern language. I'm interested in God's language. But you got to recognize something. You need to understand, ladies and gentlemen, if you hold to that, that in and of itself will separate you. There will be people that don't want to do that. People will preach, we don't drink around here, do we? No, we don't. But I know somebody that does, okay? Well, there's always exceptions to the rule, but we don't believe in drinking. You know what that does? It separates us. It makes us different. There's things we don't do because we believe it's what God would have us to do. Am I right? Okay, and if that's the case, then guess what happens? It naturally separates us. But you've got to realize, i got a picture in my office at the house. It's a picture that's drawn by a famous painter that did a lot of Civil War paintings, and this one stuck out, and it's called The Loneliness of Command. It's generally, it's bivouac, don't go into fighting the North and the South and all that junk, but it's generally who is uh, camped out, bivouacked, up above the troops that are down below him down in the valley, and he's up there by himself with the maps and with the pencils and all the stuff and a lantern there on the table and a lantern hanging back there in his tent, and he's sitting there by himself. And the artist wrote some profound words. He wrote, the loneliness of command. It's a lonely spot. Elijah's by himself. Can I say sometimes that lonely spot can also become a depressing spot. There's nobody there to encourage him. Now you say what you want to say about Elijah when he was preaching. Ain't nobody even amened him. And nobody even said after the rain fell, nobody said thank you. Now, I, look, I, look, I understand you Bible believers. I understand you're Christians. Well, he ought not be doing it for that anyway. Yeah, but sometimes thank you does kind of make the medicine go down a little easier. You expect to be thanked men when you cut the grass. That's why you get her by the hand and walk out there and say, Baby, you seen that lawn? When's the last time you talked to her about the ribs that are in your, her carpet after she vacuumed it? About how clean them dishes are. About how good that meal was. But first time you clean out the garage so you can get your car in there to fix something you should have fixed a long time ago, baby, I cleaned my garage. And you expect to be recognized. Am I too close to the cotton there? I just know she's clamping down a little bit. I'm just saying. Can I say this to you? Sometimes expecting that other people will appreciate what you're doing can lead to severe depression and disappointment and discouragement. Because Elijah thought. What else led to his depression? Elijah thought they would certainly be grateful that God showed up. Elijah thought. I would have thought the same thing. They gonna, he thought they were telling the truth when they said, Hey, if God comes and does it, we'll follow Him. He's thinking, you know something? We're going to have revival. You know what he says in his statement right after the comma? I am no better than my fathers. You need God's hand on you. You say, why? You'll start comparing yourself to other people. Listen, this thing's not over yet. We none of us even know what's going to amount to anything when we get to heaven. 
As a matter of fact, your worst trial might be your greatest attribute when you wind up getting to heaven. Down here, though, it may not go that way. Down here, you're thinking, man, this ain't working for me. Nobody gave me a biscuit. Nobody gave me any water. Nobody appreciates that I've been on the backside of the desert for three and a half years by myself, and I come out here, and I preach, and nobody turns around, and nobody repents, and nobody has revival. And guess what he's saying? I'm done. Now, I'm just going to say this. I honestly believe if you were to ask Elijah what the greatest moment in his life ministry was, it would not be when he did the great miracles or when he was caught up in a fiery chariot. I think Elijah would say when I was down and when I was desperate and when I was discouraged and I was depressed, the Lord came down and He built a fire. And he gave me some warmth. And he gave me some light. And he put a cruise of water beside my head. Because I didn't realize how dehydrated I was. I didn't realize how thirsty I was. In spite of all that rain, in spite of all the floodwaters that had come, I didn't realize, man, I was completely dried out and out of my mind and I was ready to die. He is desperate. And the Lord came down and ran off the animals and sat down there and made him a biscuit. And instead of him rebuking him and getting on to him, because Elijah wasn't always perfect. He's a great preacher. But if you look at this microcosm of his life, you know what you're thinking? What kind of preacher is that? That's part of what goes with it. Amen. You know what the Lord said? Are you hungry? <clears throat> Do you know sometimes you can be so malnourished you don't even know you're malnourished? I just read an article yesterday. Some people that went out, they're trying to play Rambo and go out and live off the grid and so on and so forth. They're minimalists and all that kind of a deal. Uh, they just recently died. They found the man and his family out there. And you know what they found them from? They found them, uh, they, they'd starved to death and from, uh, from malnutrition and also from exposure. Malnutrition, day and time in which we live? You've got to be kidding, man. I mean, most of us can have our floaty with us anytime we want to, right? I'm right there with you. I like food. Lots of it. As a friend of mine told me, copious amounts. And fried chicken. But you know what he says? Hey boy, you hungry? He must have been hungry. He gave him a meal. He didn't even realize how hungry he was. Hey boy, you thirsty? Must have been cold. He built a fire. Must have needed some light. He had a fire. Must have needed some protection. The Lord never left him even after he fed him. As a matter of fact, he must have even needed some rest. Listen to me. This is important for you to get. Sometimes you can be so physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted that you can say and do stupid things. Say, that don't never happen. You know what they know scientifically? Ain't time to buy a house or make a major decision right after somebody died. Am I telling the truth? 
Y'all look at me like a tree full of owls. Yeah. Times of stress and strain, it, it, it hijacks your neurological system. It, it messes up your parasympathetic nervous system. A fancy way of saying, it whacks you out. And the bad thing about it is, you think you're thinking right. But you are whacked out. Not a good time to be making decisions. You say, what happened? He's a nut job. If you look at him at that moment right there in time, you know what most of us as Bible believers would have done? We'd have kicked him to the curb. Yeah. You quit her. Yeah. You quit her. You know what's interesting to me? God saw a beginning place, not an ending place. Yeah. God said, I'm not done with you yet, man. You've got to train somebody. You've got 10 more years before I take you out of here, man. He doesn't tell him, get up, soldier up, suck it up, man. When you can't fight, keep fighting. If you can't fight, roll over and keep, you know, he doesn't tell him that. He said, you know what you need? Listen, you need some rest. Amen. You need a nap. Doesn't that kind of sound good right now? Did the preacher just tell us we could go to sleep in church? That's some of the best sleep you ever had. That big boy back there in the back, he used to come to church off the midnight shift. What an idiot, man. I mean, I'm glad he did. Off the midnight shift, though. I mean, if you've been up all night, whew, he'd come and he'd sit down in the service. And I'd wait till I got right by him and I'd say, said he'd wake up look around I don't know how he's still here he probably should have got up and slapped me but sometimes sleeping in church is good sleeping you say why and just feel at peace it's just quiet it just shuts off the noise of the world that's why when you fall asleep in here the first thing I think is I'm dry as cracker juice that's the first thing I think. I am. I'm just that way. I just feel like I must be boring you to tears. I'm not going to get on to you for not for sleeping. Or the second thing I figured is you're either tired or sick. Where should you be if you're tired or sick? You should be right here in the hospital. So what do you need? Sometimes you know what they do when you get in the hospital? They stink and put you to sleep. I don't mean like put you to sleep like I was in the veterinary and putting you to sleep. Right, brother, sonny? You understand? I'm talking about, you know what they say? You need some... Rest. That's the wrong place to get some sleep is in the hospital. Yeah. Then they come poke and prod you for them. It's midnight shift. They're working. They're wide awake. You're like, this is when I normally sleep. And they're like, well, this is when we work. So they keep you awake and then you're like, I can't wait to get out. And what do you do as soon as you get out? You ever been on a vacation and come back from vacation and then you need to rest after vacation? You were supposed to be on vacation, right? Like, yeah, we're going away to rest. And you come back, I can't wait to go to sleep. And then you sleep for two days. What happened? You wore out. The devil's job in the last days, Christian, is to wear out the saints. And you got to give each other a little bit of room. Sometimes people are acting whacked out just because they're tired. Sometimes they're beat up. Hurting people hurt people. I know it sounds kind of cliche-ish, but it's true. But sometimes when you come in, you push on a bruise, enough time there's enough scar tissue, you know what happens? Don't hit me. You know what happens? You push on that long enough, sooner or later, that scar tissue, that bruise is going to talk to you. Y'all are from Florida, most of you here. Before you had any sense about you, did you ever walk outside and get sunburned? You ever done? Did you hear what he said? 
You ain't right. And as soon as you get sunburned, somebody comes, Hey, how are you doing? They don't know you're sunburned. But you think they should know you're sunburned. Can't you tell my face is like a tomato? And I've been in the sun? No, I thought she was mad. Right? But when they tap you, don't you get mad? Because when they're already hurt, all it does is make the hurt worse. Say, what's going on with Elijah? I'm going to get to the good part of the story here in a second, but can I just say this? He's pretty hurt. And he must be tireder than he thinks. And he must need rest, and he must need some light, and he must need some warmth. Well, guess what happens? Let's follow the story real quick. We doing okay on time? Okay. Now, now watch. He gets up. You know what he does? He winds up going to a dark place. Do you see that? Most people don't talk about that. He went to the man cave. And he went in there and he's, he's still hiding out. You say, why? The Lord's fixing to reveal to you he's bitter. Ooh. Hit a heartstring there. You say, how do you know? He said, Lord, I just want to know when I was up there, I'm the only one that's standing for you. You need the hand of the Lord on you. You say, why? Because you can get to think you're the only one doing anything. Yes. Lord, I'm the only one. The Lord said, hey, Scudderbuck, you let me tell you something. There's 7,000 hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. Well, where were they? You know what he does? He quits. He goes to the cave. He's in a dark place. And he covers his face. He doesn't want to be seen. You don't think that boy's got some mental issues? You know you need to hand the Lord on you. You say, why? Because you have a tendency to want to get isolated. You want to get by yourself. You want to get alone. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. Little bitty skinny ones and big old fat ones. Why? Because nobody loves me. When you get in that condition, everything somebody says triggers you. No matter what it is. Hey, you look nice today. You don't think I look nice before? Sorry. Sorry. And then the fact that they're not saying anything, now that's triggered you. But you'd never pause to think, hey, Elijah. What you doing in that dark hole? Well, you know what happens. The fire comes. You need to hand the Lord on you because earthquakes come. The great wind comes. All of that, right? But you need it in order to recognize that the Bible says it never leave you. It'll never forsake you. But you don't know that until He takes you through a valley you've never been through. I know that the Lord makes us that promise. Remember the story of Joseph? Remember when Joseph was down there in the pit and then he was sold into slavery? You don't get into him getting past Potiphar's house. You know what the Bible says? The, hand, the, the Lord was with Joseph. But there was a problem. He didn't tell Joseph. 
You get to read the backstory. The Lord says, I'm with him. Seventy years. He's in prison, falsely accused. And the Lord was with Joseph. He didn't tell Joseph. He comes out after everything transpired. And the Lord was with Joseph. And for 70 years, it said the Lord was there, but He never told Joseph. Now, the Lord said He never leave you, never forsake you. Am I right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are there times that you felt like He kind of forgot you? Yes. I'm like the apostles on the ship in Mark chapter 4. Lord cares not that we perish. You say, what would you be doing? I'd be waking Him up too. Hey, I'm one of them, oh, ye little faith. That's me. Lord, where are you? I would say at, but we have English majors in here. So, but Lord, where are you? You never done that before? You never been through a, a dark place where you couldn't find out what's going on and you're looking for the Lord and everything that's happening around you and He's not there at all and then all of a sudden you stop long enough to take a breath and to listen and the Lord speaks to you in the still small voice. Yes, sir. Thank you. But He has to eliminate all that other chatter first. And the channel has to get quiet. And that is so hard to do. Man, if we could ever see real revival, you know what it would mean? It would mean whatever's causing chatter, confusion, static on the line between you and the Lord, you would lay that aside so you could hear Him again. Remember when you first started following Him? Man, it was like everything you did. He's turn here, turn here, do this, do that, and so on and so forth. I mean, it's like you could hear him every time you turn around. Can you still hear him that way? Or have you just gotten caught up in the routine? And in this case, it's Elijah. He's in the ministry. He ain't doing nothing bad. It's not worldly stuff getting in his way. It's God's people getting in his way. Elijah comes along there and the Bible says to him, he said, Hey, listen, I got something that I want you to do. I'm not done with you. One of the greatest ways of knowing that God is still with you and you need the hand of the Lord on you is to complete the task God called you to do. It's hard to do when bad things occur. You want to quit before you get done. It's five o'clock. I'm walking off in the middle of the row. Papa says, finish the row out. It's 5 o'clock and I'm done. You took a long lunch break. Mix the concrete, pour the footers, pour the slab, get that done, and then we'll go. Yeah, but it's time for me to go. I'm done. You need the hand of the Lord on you. You say, why? Because you will quit if God doesn't help every one of us. There is absolutely no guarantee. Any one of you, male or female, young or old, if you're saved here today, there is no guarantee other than your eternal security that you will make it to heaven, that you will complete the task of that which God gave you to do if you don't have God's hand on you. Amen. That Bible says in that passage there, you come down about verse 8 or 9 there, you know what he said? He said, "For the you need the Lord's hand on you for the journey is great. Amen. He said, what does that mean, preacher? That means it's heavy. It's hard. It's difficult. I'm not making it light and easy. Getting saved, man, that's as good as it gets. But after that, the journey starts. That Bible says the journey's great. That means it's heavy. Paul said, laying aside every weight and the sin. 
Why? The ministry, the Christian life, it can be great. It can be heavy. I wish I could be one of them prosperity preachers. I think I could actually do pretty good. I could even be a windsucker, man. And I could be able to get things moving and that kind of a deal. But it ain't biblical. Our rewards are on the other side. Down here, it's pain and graveyards and hospital beds and afflictions and problems and personalities and difficulties and all of these obstacles that are in the way for one reason only, to prevent God from getting you to where He wants you to be for His glory and His honor. It's obstructions to try to keep you, hindrances to keep you from finishing. We've got to have God's hand on us or we will not complete the task God gave us to do. Whatever that task may be, sorry. Whatever that task may be. I don't know what your task is. But I can tell you this. The Bible says the devil's a roaring lion walking about seeking you and may devour. The Bible says to you very clearly that you have opposition. So it tells you that you're supposed to prepare yourself because you wrestle not against flesh and blood, principalities, power, uh, power, spiritual weakness, rulers of darkness in high places. Paul said, I press toward the mark in the high call. I fight not as one that beateth the air. It's all through the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, that opposition comes because of who you're following, not because of what you're doing. The opposition is to your commander-in-chief. The fight is not against you. It is against what He is trying to do through you. And if you're in the thick of it, it means that for whatever reason, God has chosen you of all the individuals He could have chosen to put the hammer down and to say, if you considered my servant, fill your name in. A righteous man, righteous woman, skeweth evil, wants to do right. I want you to notice in that passage, the first thing that God attacked was the servants and his property. The second thing was he killed his whole family. Because sometimes when you follow him, even your family will turn against you. I know that's sobering. You need God's hand on you. You say, well, you can't sustain yourself. You're not made to be able to withstand that kind of pressure. You get ready to have a family reunion? And you're thinking, can we just have church? Because I don't really have that much family anymore. Family dwindles. Your other family grows. Thanks, Brother Jerry. Everybody's kind of got quiet. This is the reality, ladies and gentlemen. They ain't going to tell you this on TV. You need to know, you ought to like get the smelling salts up your nose and realize what you're going to... You say, this is depressing. No, it's not. It's encouraging. It's, oh, good. Now I know the lay of the land. Now I know what's really going on. I, oh, okay, good. You say, what winds up happening? Now the Lord comes up there and you know what he does? He puts his hand on him. Amen. He gets his mouth right next to his ear. And he talks to him. Amen. I read a book. She got me. Somebody got it called Why the Shepherd. Got me interested in shepherds. But one place he has in there, he talks about this. He said, when the shepherd has a, a lamb or a sheep that is disobedient, they have to keep going out to get him all the time. He doesn't learn the lesson. So that shepherd would very carefully break that lamb's leg and then set it and then take that lamb and set it up on his shoulders. And that would mean that little lamb's mouth is 
right next to the ear of the shepherd. You know what he'll wind up doing? He'll wind up walking around and realizing that that shepherd really loves him, even though he had to break his leg. And after he gets some attention because he hears his bleat before the bleat of the rest of the flock. Why? Because his mouth is right next to the shepherd's ear. You ever been there? You ever been there where nobody's hearing you, nobody's listening? Man, you are diswrought. You are tore slap out of the frame. You're hobbling around and you're thinking, I'm not going to make it back. Lord, this hurts so bad. And the Lord pick you up and set you up on his shoulder and said, talk to me. Uh, you don't have to holler. You don't have to scream. You say, why your mouth right there by his ear? And he says, tell me about it. Say, so why is that, preacher? You need the hand of the Lord on you to recognize without his encouragement, there's no guarantee you'll finish down here the way you should finish. I'm not talking about your eternal destination. Some of you are struggling today. You're constantly fighting against sin and difficulty and trouble and discouragement and depression and all of those things. Fear and finances and family and money and all that stuff. Marriage, kids, prodigals, having a desire to go to the far country. You know what you need this morning? You need the hand of the Lord on you. You say, why? You need to know that He's the one that guarding your steps and guiding your direction. I think He says something about a blessed man. He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. And He doesn't stand in the way of the sinners. Why? Because the shepherd has got his hand on his shoulder and said, let me guide your steps because the steps of a good man are guided by the Lord. Can I ask you this question? I'm going to close here. Can I ask you this question? When's the last time you felt the hand of the Lord on you? The last time you felt the Lord was close enough to you that you could hear His voice. Better still, when was the last time you crawled up on His shoulder and whispered into His ear and said, Lord, I need some help. I wish I could tell you, and I do love to preach on heaven, but I wish I could tell you, man, everything's going to be better tomorrow. I can't promise you that. I can promise you that one day when the Lord blows a horn, it'll be better. But some of you could testify, every day ain't a good day. And you need the hand of the Lord on you. To be able to finish what God's called you to do. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.